0: I mean, even when I was younger, I, I, people would say, that gonna, you, you want to do what with what? And it started out for me when I was, I, I was very young. I remember driving uh, to, my my father lived in Virginia and we lived in New York. And so he'd come pick me up every once in a while. I'd drive to Virginia and I'd look on the side of the road and, and I'd see these old houses that were falling apart. And I'd say, couldn't we fix that one up? And couldn't we fix that one up? And he would explain the foundation's ruined. And the biggest one for me, though, where, where my mind really started... Um, digging in and saying this could be a possibility. I was I was in 1970s, and uh, we would drive uh, upstate New York. We lived in around New York City. We drive upstate New York, and along uh, the New York State Thruway, if you're driving down the road, on the left-hand side of the road was this place called Bambi Manor. And it was this old manor, if you will. I could see it through the trees, and I would tell my mom, slow down, slow down, slow down, as we're driving by, because I wanted to get a good look at it. And, you know, you're going by the throughway; you're going pretty fast. I just wanted to see it, and I wanted to look at it. And for years, I would drive by, and I would think, what could I do with that? I mean, we could try it turn into this. We could turn it into that. And, and I, when I came to know Christ, um, I remember, again, driving through there and thinking, oh, we could do this with We could do that with And I talked my youth pastor at the time and his wife. I called the realtor and it was for sale. And I went up there because this thing was literally, honestly, it was falling apart. I'm sure the foundation was rickety and it would have cost so much money to fix it. But I had it in my mind that we could fix it up. And I had them come up with me. I had some of my friends come up and just just dream about what we could possibly do. And I thought we could do a radio station out of there and we could bring kids from new york city Who didn't get a chance to go out into the country and we could we could build rooms for them and they could come and hang out there And I didn't really have all the details worked out But I had these general giant principles that I thought we could do and I had I got them pretty excited The youth pastor for a moment there thought we could actually pull it off until we realized we had no money And uh, it was it was just it was just me and people would say to me all the time. You're gonna do You're gonna try to do what? And I think every single one of us have those times in our lives where we we say something, we kind of we let our dreams out and people will say like that little cartoon, you know, you know, and dreams are fine. Just don't, you know, don't get, in, don't get carried away. You're going to do what? It's much safer just to stay where you are. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about stretching our faith and and how god how god wants us to impact his kingdom how we can further impact his kingdom by just stretching our faith and as i as we go through the uh, the old testament it's absolutely amazing how god uses such a wide range of people to build his kingdom to impact the world such a wide range of people noah is one of those people he's absolutely amazing and 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 and, and talk about uh, stretching your faith. Noah's like the poster child, right? For stretching your faith with God, ask him to do, but for us to truly understand the magnitude of what God was asking him to do and to understand how he may have felt, we need to understand the world in which Noah lived. So in Genesis chapter six, Verses five through seven, it says this. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals, and creatures that moved along the ground, and the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. The people of Noah's day had turned their backs on God. And it says this, listen to these words, every Every inclination of the thoughts of the heart was only evil all the time. You ask sometimes people will say, well, I don't understand. The the Old Testament talks about God saying to the Israelites, wipe out all those people. This is your answer. Okay, sometimes for 400 years, God would warn them to repent. 400 years. And basically what you ended up with is every inclination of the thoughts of the heart was only evil all the time. For Noah's generation, their 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 morality was determined by personal choice, not by God's truth. By their own personal choice. There are three kinds of morality in culture. Three different kinds. Neo- Theonomous, heteronomous, and autonomous. Theonomous, heteronomous, and autonomous. Theonomous, people think of theocracy, but that's not what he's talking about here. What you're basically talking about, theos means God and nomus means law. So it's God's law, okay? God's law. The idea of a theonomous culture is that God's law is is so self-evident within the human heart it is so self-evident. It's like when the Bible says the law of God is written on their hearts. It's so self-evident that it's written on the human heart, that there, there are some moral, some moral imperatives that find consensus in a society. So the law of God is written on their hearts, and there's then a moral consensus within that culture Okay, to follow the law of God. The law of God is written on, on all of our hearts. Sometimes, though, as, as a culture begins to deteriorate, their consciences become seared or dulled. And they fight against that, that, that morality that's written on our hearts. So a... A theonomic, okay, first, so you have that first part. The second one is, is basically the heteronomous, okay? Heteronomous, hetero meaning different, nomus meaning law, a different law. In this case, here you have two distinct, two distinct groups in operation. You have the people at the top, right? The people at the top determining different th- things for other people, what the morals of the, of the community, what the morals of the country should be. Marxism. Is a heteronomic culture in which you have the few at the top determining everything for the masses at the bottom who are below. So you have the top people; they determine what is moral, what is right, what is wrong for everyone else. And pretty much in a lot of these cultures, like Marxism and different, uh, you know, years back, especially they'd basically say, you know, God is dead. They try to wipe God out of culture, and they wouldn't let anyone practice Christianity at all. So that's uh, you got the heteronomous, and then you have the autonomous culture, the autonomous, auto meaning self, okay, and I guess again nomus meaning law, self law. We become a law unto ourselves. We become a law unto ourselves, and just like in Noah's generation, Americans pride themselves on being an autonomous culture, okay, individualistic, relativistic. Okay. every my truth is my truth because I believe it. And your truth is your truth because you believe it. It's very individualistic, individualistic, right? And very relativistic. There are no absolutes. The law of non-contradiction doesn't really fit anymore in our culture. It's slowly deteriorating. The law of non-contradiction says if something is right, the opposite of right is wrong. So if I say one thing, if I say the wall is, that wall is black and you say that wall is white, one of us is wrong. The law of non-contradiction. We both can't be right. It can't be white and black at the same time in the same relationship. But in our culture, people can say, no, the wall is white. Well, that's your truth because your truth, it's your truth because you believe it. And I say the wall is black and people will say, well, that's your truth because you believe it. Well, I can believe, I can be sincere and believe anything I want to. That wall is not black. But in our culture, that's the way it works. Same thing with our literature and everything else. We determine what is of value. We determine what that person, that author, actually meant. Even if the author says, this is what I meant, you can sit in a classroom and people can say, no, that's not what I thought he meant. This is what he means to me. Very individualistic, very relativistic, and America prides itself on being an autonomous culture. If you think about that old saying, the more things change... The more they stay the same is right on target here. The people of Noah's day were wiped out by a flood. And then they were given a second chance. They were, getting, they were given a new beginning. They can start all over again. And so Noah and his family, they get out and they, they're, there's populating, populating. All of a sudden, the population begins to grow. So you're given a second chance. But it's interesting if you read on in chapter 11, in, chapter, in Genesis, and so chapter 11, he starts start talking about the Tower of Babel. And it says that the people were arrogant and evil, arrogant, and evil. So God separated them, He, you know, messed up their languages. and Everybody went to different parts of the world, different languages. And then in chapter 19, if you continue to read on, it talks about after, again, another start. Chapter 19 talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. And it seems in some ways I'm not comparing us to Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm not comparing us to even in Noah's day. But in some ways, our culture is moving in that direction. Moving away from God, kicking God out of all of our areas, different areas of our culture. And so what you end up having is a culture. You think about it. Think about this for a moment. Um, our music. Turn off your Christian radio station, OK, and, and you're and you're and listening to your Christian music and put on a non-Christian radio station or go look up the words to the, the lyrics, to the music, to the most popular songs, some of the most popular genres Watch TV without, just I wouldn't, right now, I don't even do this. What I do is what I, I go through, find out what I want to watch and turn right to that station because you're flipping through and there's all kinds of craziness on. I mean, there's so many naked and afraid kind of things. It's like, wait, you know, if you're naked and you're, afraid, get some clothes on, okay, and then you'll be less afraid and be naked. I mean, it's, it's like, <laughs> It's like there's so many different shows on how many people can live on an island, you know what I mean, and be naked. And it's like uh, how many things that you come up with? But you go through it and all the violence and all the things that are going on, even on, on television and then the movies. When's the last time you went on and just tried to find a movie that your whole family could watch? I, honestly, the last year or so, the last couple years, I've said to my wife, Deb, I've said, you know, it's so difficult. Almost all these movies are now rated R. It's very difficult to find. And, and then you got to PG-13, but it's very difficult to find a movie that everyone can actually watch. You know, our culture, our love of violence, our disregard for human life, and our focus on illicit sex has become the norm It's basically become the norm. There is a disrespect for authority and a disgust or a disdain for the spiritual. God has been kicked out of almost every part of our culture. You've got to keep him right here. That's what the culture would say. See, it's secular and sacred. You can have your sacred, but you keep it in this. You keep it within these walls or on your own property. It's not allowed outside of here at work or at school or any place else. God has been kicked out. Chisel his name off, whatever we find, if anything about Jesus or God or whatever else. Don't set up anything in the public square that has to do with anything that relates to God. We're kicking him out of our culture. When, when people talk about God in our society, they're not talking any longer about the God of the Bible. He, he, the God that they're talking about is some watered down, non-offensive, politically correct, fit my lifestyle kind of God. His 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 uh his 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 goal is to make sure that I'm happy and that I'm content and uh, that I have, you know, that I'm feeling good. And his role is to make sure that he helps me fulfill the desires of my heart. And in Christianity and in the, in the church, God has become this health and wealth God that God's going to make me healthy and God's going to make me wealthy. And that's what he's what he's there for. He's not a God that talks about sin. He's not a God that, that talks about righteousness or holiness or judgment. That's not the God that they're talking about. It's just this watered down version of God that's, you know, I take him off the shelf, I dust him off when I need him, and he's like a he's like my fairy godmother, okay? Or I just pull him off, he's, he you know, he takes his wand and wants to give me things. That's basically what we've done. We only talk to him or call upon him in our culture when things go terribly wrong. I was stunned even a few years back when 9-11 happened, and, and in the entire stadium of what the Yankees and the Mets game—they were singing "Amazing Grace." The entire stadium was singing "Amazing Grace." And now, quickly, we want to push him out of our lives. See, he doesn't really care about this God that we that we've kind of created in our culture. He doesn't care about right and wrong because, according to our culture, there is no right and wrong. Right? Everything is relative. Your truth is your truth because you believe it. My truth is my truth because I believe it. Try to actually live that out in your everyday life and tell me how it goes for you. And just like in Noah's day, God's people now are portrayed as lunatics. Or, you know, when, when they're portrayed on television, it's always they're these weirdos. It's the kind of the crazy folks. See, we need to ask ourselves. I need to ask myself and you need to ask yourself. Am I I a part of the problem in this culture or am I a part of the solution? I mean, honestly, I had to sit back and ask myself that. Am I a part of the problem or am I a part of the solution to what is going on in our culture? Do our hearts break as we watch this culture push God out of everything, turn their backs on God? Have Have we grown accustomed to it? Honestly, it was just, it's just part of us now. When we hear things, we hear people use the Lord's name in vain. It's like, Jesus Christ, oh my God. When we hear those things, doesn't, does it bother us anymore? I mean, it's in the Ten Commandments. That's a big one, all right? But now it's just like thrown out like any other kind of curse or any other word. Does that bother us? Are we, are we accustomed to it? Or worse, have we basically embraced it? But people know the difference if it when you're in your group of friends or when you're at work, does anyone even know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ or have you just embraced culture completely and just gone along with everything that's happening? Chuck Swindell wrote this. I absolutely love it. He says, because of sin, man has taken the deity out of religion, the supernatural out of Christianity, the authority from the Bible, God out of education, morality and virtue out of literature, beauty and truth out of art, ethics out of business and fidelity out of marriage and this is the kind of culture that noah lived in times a hundred we are not america is not the same as noah's time okay in his culture not sodom and gomorrah we're drifting further and further away from god but we're not there but i want you to lay out i want you to understand that here is a man a just a man and he's in this situation is god's asking to do something amazing or impossible And this is what he has to deal with. This is the culture that he has to deal with. But in in this culture, that was so overwhelming, where there was not one person around him whose thought processes were not basically totally sinful, he stood tall. He stood out. The Bible tells us that Noah was a man of character. He was a man of integrity. He walked with God. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, it says this. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. In the midst of this immoral society, he stood out. He stood tall. He allowed his faith to be stretched by God. Now I gotta ask you a question. I gotta ask myself a question. For all of us, do do you stand out in your university? Started going to college this year. Maybe you've been there a few years. Man, you were on fire for the Lord when you were in high school. All of a sudden you get caught up in that culture. Everybody's doing everything. And so you want to be a part of it. So do you get, do you stand out in your university? Do you stand out in your high school or your junior high? Do you stand out in your neighborhood? Do you stand out on your team? Do you stand out in your place of business? Do Do you stand out on those places? Would you be described as a person who walks with God, who who stands for God, who holds their ground? If there's something immoral, wrong, sinful, unethical going on, you're not going to stand for it. Are you a lion or are you a lamb? Will you stand up? Will you stand for God when you are called to stand for him? Now, we need to understand, Noah wasn't... um, he wasn't some he wasn't some supernatural kind of guy. He he wasn't perfect. We know that as we read on in in, in the story. But Noah wasn't perfect. He wasn't supernatural. And I see. Th- I think sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we think that the the heroes of the Bible are somehow beyond us. They're they're these supernatural people, and so we get in our minds that we are really not going to be able to to do what they were able to do. That we know that's not true. I mean, Jesus literally said, When I go to be with the Father and I send the Spirit, you will be doing greater things than you've seen me do. I mean that's what he said. So God is still using his people. The 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 the, the truth is the people of the Bible are just that. Their people, their common people, the difference is that they were willing to stand out and allow their faith to be stretched. They were willing to trust God. They were willing to walk with God and follow God. It was Noah's desire to truly trust God that made him stand alone outside of his culture. It was his desire as a man, as a human being, simply a human being, his desire to trust God and to be stretched by God. His faith to be stretched that allowed him allowed him to stand alone in his generation. He understood that to be victorious in a spiritual battle, you need to prepare yourself for that battle. You need to be walking with God consistently, preparing yourself for that battle. He understood that. Noah did what God called him to do. He was not afraid to be his own man. He wasn't afraid to stand up under all the pressure and all the difficulty. And that's what the Bible calls righteous. A person is willing to do that. He allowed God's standard to affect and and to direct his life. He allowed the standards of God, the word of God, God's word, God's principles, God's truth to effect and to direct his life. He took it into his heart and then he acted upon it. That's what the Bible calls a righteous person. He realized that that the harder you work at being who you should be, the less that you care about what others think you are. We spend so much of our time, honestly, uh, so many of us spend so much time worrying about what other people are going to think, what other people are going to say. And Noah realized that if you spend the time becoming who you should be, who God called you and designed you to be, you're going to, you're going to worry so much less about what everybody else thinks you should be or who everybody else thinks you are. When I, I know who I am. I know my strengths and my weaknesses. I know who God designed me to be. I know what God has called me to do. And when I know those things, I could give a rip, could care less of what everybody else thinks I should be doing or who everybody else thinks I should be. See, when you're clear about who you are. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That's who we are. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You were designed for a specific purpose in your life. When you understand that, it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. And Noah had to have that heart or he would never survive what he was going to go through. The uh, people of Noah's day knew that he was a man of character and he was a man of integrity. They may have thought he was a bit strange when he started building an ark. But they would not have questioned his moral stand. They would not have questioned his moral character. They may have questioned his sanity, but not his sincerity and what he knew God called him to do. He was what the Bible calls blameless. In a world filled with people who are evil and a world filled with people who could care less about God, he stood out. People may ridicule. Listen, people may ridicule how you live your life as a believer, especially you younger ones. You're in school. People may ridicule you sometimes because you won't smoke this and you won't drink that and you won't have sex with this person. You And you have you have moral standards that you live by. They may ridicule you, but here's the reality. When they go through a tough time, When they get pregnant or they get high or they have to be picked up or whatever else, guess who they're calling? Guess who they're going to talk to? Guess who they're going to go to? Why? Because they've watched you. They've watched your integrity. They've watched your character. They know they can share with you. They know they can trust you. They're going to go to you. Why? Because you are what the Bible would call blameless, not perfect. But you're trying your best to be righteous. You're trying your best to be like Jesus Christ. And they see it and they know it and they will come to you. The Bible also tells us that Noah walked with God. He walked with God. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't just, he didn't just pop in from time to time with God. He didn't just come to church. He didn't just talk the talk. He walked with God. He walked with God. His relationship with God was steadfast. And it was developed over years, so it was consistent. He was consistent with God. The people around him knew what they were getting. They may not, they probably didn't like him all the time, but they knew in business he wasn't going to cheat them. They knew he wasn't going to fly off the handle with his anger and lash out at people and, and try to hurt or, or harm someone because they didn't agree with them. They knew who they were dealing with. He had a steadfast relationship with God. He had a consistent relationship with God. Noah was the kind of God who understood... The kind of guy who understood that, fa- that failure is the path of least persistence. Do you want to fail? Failure is the path of least persistence. You need to be relentless. You need to be resilient. And Noah knew that. He understood you you will fail if you're not resilient, you will fail if you're not persistent, you will fail if you are not consistent. So we, we have here a world filled. We have a world filled with wickedness and we also have a man filled with faithfulness, a man who is righteous. And that is the place that is the environment in which God tells Noah what he wants him to do. Here's this guy who stood out. God loved. He was blameless. He was righteous. And God says, here's the person I'm going to use. This is the environment in which God reveals the plan, his plan to Noah. God is going to bring an end to the world. Okay, and he's going to preserve humanity through Noah and his family. And then in in, in verses in verses thirteen through twenty one, I won't get into them all right now. I won't read the whole thing. But what what you have there is that God lays out in specific detail how how large the the ark should be, how tall it should be, how wide it should be, what should be put in there, the animals different of uh, two animals of their kind, different animals. So he lays he lays all this out for for Noah. See. I think we're often so familiar with this with this story that we miss the magnitude of the task that he was asked to do. The ark, and I'm not going to get into all the details, it just takes too much time. You can read about it. The ark was basically the size of a World War II aircraft carrier. This thing was massive, could have easily held all the animals that God told them to bring onto the ark, two of each no problem. Okay, there's no there's no issue with the animals feeding onto the Ark and their food and everything else. And matter of fact, there was plenty of room for people too. So there's no issues there. Not only that, but Noah and his family were five hundred miles from the nearest body, large body of water, okay? From a major from a major body of, of water. Can you just imagine trying to explain to your neighbors in this culture why you're building an ark 500 miles from any major body of water? Can you, can you? I mean, can you? Can you just? Can you imagine? Not only does Noah have to build an ark, not only is he required to build an ark, but he has to build an ark with a culture that is going to be ridiculing him the entire time. Think about this. He's only a man. He's only a man. He's got this Herculean task, and on top of that, he's going to get ridiculed the entire time, publicly ridiculed the entire time that he's doing it. Think about it. They would be saying to him, you know, this guy, uh, you know, integrity, character, righteousness, blameless, all those kinds of things, but he's nutty as a fruitcake. Uh, you know, I like him, but man, this guy's one fry short of a Happy Meal. I mean, what is he doing building an ark in the middle? You know what I mean? In the 500 miles, there's no water. It's not it look like it's going to rain or anything. This guy's, you know, he's a religious fanatic is what he is. Let's just, you know, don't worry about him. He's just a, he's just a religious fanatic. With that, with that pressure, he could have come up with, honestly, think about it. Think about what you would have done. And I would have done. He could have come up with all kinds of excuses. Oh, man, it's going to cost so much. You know, as a church, we want to go. We want to do this. We want to do that. We're going to lay out some new things that God is. We feel like God is calling us to do. And people are going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Where are we going to get the money for that? We don't have money for that. We don't have any money for that. It's going to cost too much. Oh, you know what? It's going to it's going to take too much time. That's the size of a size of, a, of an aircraft carrier. That's way too much time. Way too, And hey, I don't have insurance. Right. He didn't have insurance back then. Just, you know, go with me. He didn't have any insurance. What if someone falls while we're building the ark here? You know, I'm going to hurt the leg. They're going to sue us up the whole thing. They'll take the ark and everything we have. Why should we do this? All this. He could come up with all kinds of excuses. Why not to do it? There's an old saying that says sorrow looks back. Worry looks around and faith looks up. Sorrow looks back. Worry looks around. Oh, man, what happens? And what happens? And what happens? And what happens? And sorrow's like, oh, man, if we try this. Remember what happened last time? Remember what happened before? Remember it happened? We, if we try this, this could happen again. But faith looks up. God, I don't know how you're going to help us figure all this out. I don't know how we're going to pull it off. But we really feel as a church that you've called us to do this. We feel that we need to step out in faith, Lord. So give us what we need. Faith looks up. The problem with so many people and so many churches that the only time they look up was when they're flat on their backs, when things didn't work out, when the last resort, the very last resort is to go to God and ask God to help them. Instead of making excuses, Noah follows God. He follows what God tells him to do. He trusts God's word and he trusts God's promises. God has told him to do this. I trust your word. I'm following you. I trust your promises. History remembers Noah as a man, as a man who stood in contrast to his world and changed it. History remembers Noah and it's the way they should remember us. In the the, the years to follow, when, when all of us are no longer here and there's a whole different group of people sitting in here, our children who have been a part of this church since birth and now they're the ones leading. History should remember us as people who stood in contrast to their world and changed it and made a change. Noah was that kind of man. What is God calling you to do? Is God calling you to do something that to other people and to the masses, to the, to the peanut gallery, seems impossible or crazy? Is God calling you to do that? that, that God, you, they're, they're saying that's, just, that's impossible. Do you feel like God is calling you to do something sometimes that seems impossible? Well, here's the thing. We're talking about stretching our faith. Impossibilities are just opportunities for our capacities to be stretched. That's all it is. With man, things are not possible sometimes. With God, all things are possible. So an impossibility is just an opportunity for my capacity to be stretched. I love it now. As I'm older, I used to I used to really not like it at all. People told me, you're never going to be able to do that. You, you can't start an organization like this. You, you can't be a sending organization. man. I got destroyed when we started back to back. And then we got destroyed a second time when we actually had the gall to start sending people other places. I mean, I could tell you a story. It, it, was, it was brutal. And that's what people do. But you have to sometimes take a stand back. I love it now. I love it. Love it. When people say, you're not going to be able to do that. Why Why? Tell me why. Because you don't have the money and you don't have the land and you don't have that and you don't have that. And it's going to take and you don't understand whatever. I love that. I love throw those all out because the more people do that, the more God. Because what happens is when God uses someone like you and he uses someone like me, guess who gets all the glory? God does. So it's great when people tell you you can't do something or it's impossible. An impossibility is just an opportunity for our capacity to be stretched. Are you feeling pressure this morning to give up on something or worse, not even start? Because you start it and it's like, oh, man, you don't understand. You don't understand. If you just understood, you wouldn't even bother with that or whatever else. Are you, being under, are you under pressure to stop what God is calling you to do or not even start what God is calling you to do? Are you under pressure from people at school or at work? Or, or your own family. I love that little clip with the, with the little, the little rabbit. It's like, I want to be a police officer. Oh, it's nice to have dreams. Just don't, you know, don't get too excited about them or don't, don't act on them. Just stay, just stay where you are. Everything just, you know, be, be that right. Be the impala that stays behind the three foot wall, right? You have no idea what's on the other side of that wall. Just stay here and sell carrots with us. But God's calling you to hop over and do something different. And they're going to be the peanut gallery people in the world are going to tell you it can't be done. Where are you in your life right now? The pressure may be hard to deal with. Someone may be telling you you can't do something. That pressure may be hard to deal with. But at some point in your life, you need to take a stand. But I think we sometimes forget, honestly, I really believe that we forget that God is still using his people today. We look back and we say, well, look at Samson and look at this person and look at Gideon and look at David and look at, you know, you go through all these people, look at them. But you think God is not using people today. That is a terrible mistake. Remember what I said earlier? Jesus says you will do even greater things than you've seen me do. God is certainly using his people today. He's using his people now. These aren't just stories that were told from long ago. They weren't just told, and we can look at them and go, oh, that was so great. Haven't you ever just wanted to walk through the sea? Haven't you ever wanted to try to walk on water? Haven't you ever wanted to try to fight the lion? To pick up your sword until it's frozen to your hand. All these stories that we hear about, haven't you ever? It's why our children sometimes walk away. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago from the church because they don't see this kind of faith being lived out and they're desperate for it. They want to see someone pick up a sword and pick a fight. And say, we can, you, those kids that are starving all the world, we can do something about it. We can make a difference. That's what they're looking for. And I'm going to tell you something. If you raise the level, if you raise the bar, they'll jump over it. If we raise the bar, they won't say, well, you know, I'll keep the bar. This, our, our children will outdo us. And these stories were not just told. They're not just stories that are told so that, that they're just nice things to hear. They were told to inspire our hearts and to stretch our faith. You may be called right now. God may be calling you to step out in faith. He may be calling you to take a risk financially. You say, oh, don't go there. Don't, I know, I know, I I, I, we're not in a position right now to take a risk financially. You know what? God has been calling you for years to take a risk financially. I'm not saying give the money to great Chapel. I'm saying he's telling you to take a risk financially. Don't do anything that would be unbiblical and dopey. That's not what I'm saying. But he's saying, hey, I've given these resources. I need you to step out in faith and take a risk. He may be calling you to do something no one else has ever done. He may be calling you, honestly, to, to stop, to, to, to step out to to step out further in out of your comfort zone than you ever thought possible. He may be asking you to love someone or forgive someone who has wronged you. He may be calling you to stand up in your school or in your place of work. He He may be calling you to leave your comfortable life and to go live among the poor. To live with them, to invest in their lives. He may be asking you someone, to, some of you to jump on a plane with me and go to, go to Nigeria and march. March the 9th, we're gonna to go to Nigeria. Some of you are kinda, of, well, I'm not really sure, I'm not sure I can come up with the money, I'm not really sure it may be a little dangerous. He may be calling you to do that. But we need to understand that God is calling each one of us to make a difference. Whatever it is, whatever it is that God is calling you to do, one person can make a difference. One person can change the world. God can use you to do things that you never even thought possible. And they don't have to be, they don't have to be Noah archetype things. God can use each one of us. You, you just need to keep in mind that he's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for faithful people. He's looking for people that will do what he's called them to do. He's looking for people that will trust him with their dreams and their visions and their goals and their aspirations. He's looking for people who will realize that just because I failed in the past, just because I fell short, just because I backslid, just because I've sinned, just Just because I've done things in the past doesn't mean that God can't use me in the future. I want you to bow your heads with me as we close. I want you to hear these words. Remember what I said a couple weeks ago. I said during lions and lambs. Are you a lion or are you a lamb? I said that Jesus was sent to earth. Jesus came to earth to pick a fight. He came to pick a fight with the enemy to set us free so that we can live for him. He came to earth to pick a fight with the enemy so that he could set his people free so that we can live our lives for him, live each day for him. So my question for all of us this morning before we leave this place is what fight has God created you, designed you, called you, purposed you to pick? What fight has God called you to pick? And this doesn't have to be, again, this is simple, one life. That he, who has he called you to invest in? Someone who is hurting. Someone who maybe not have the same opportunities as your family. Maybe there's someone that your family can invest in. That one person, you can change that one person's life. I don't know, I can't remember the guy's name who led Billy Graham to Christ, but I certainly remember Billy Graham's name. Who has God, what fight has God called you to pick? Maybe it's trafficking. You're so sick of hearing about this trafficking that goes on, the sex trafficking with children and with adults. Is that a fight that you need to pick? Maybe it's orphan care. Maybe it's just investing in a kid that is in school, can't read very well, or kid needs to catch up. It doesn't matter. One life can change the world. We change the world by investing our lives, our time, our talents, our treasures in those around us. So my question is, once again, you don't leave this place. You need to think about it. You need to go before the Lord and ask him to show you, beg him to show you, God, what is my purpose? Why have you created me and put me here? What fight have you created me to to, to take on? What fight have you created me to pick with the enemy? Who do I need to defend? Who do I need to stand up for? What change do I need to make in this world? And I don't want to hear how old you are. And I don't want to hear how young you are. And I don't want to hear how this you are, that you are. You're not capable enough. Stop it. That is a lie from the pit of hell. What, what you are alive, you are breathing. What is God calling you to do? You need to go out. You need to pick a fight with the enemy and you need to accomplish all that God has for you. If you're still breathing, that God can use you. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. We pray, dear God, that you would use us in a powerful way, not by our own strength, but by your strength to your to your Holy Spirit working through us. Give us insight into what you called us to do, what you created us to do. Give us clarity in what you want us to do, and then give us our marching orders, and we will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.